Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. Today I'm joined by Trey Gavage, who's an SEL consultant and the host of the Dash podcast. I was fortunate enough to be in on a recording session while Trey was doing his thing. It was great to meet you, Trey. Welcome to Trending in Education. Thank you, sir. Glad to glad to be here. Um, quick turnaround. You know, we kind of were able to connect on that last session and excited to connect with you here again today. That's right. We move at the pace of learning these days. We mm-hmm. move at the pace of innovation. Things yep. are changing. Things are moving fast. Before we get into that, we're going to talk SEL, social emotional learning. As I warned you, I get social emotional, baby. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. I, I do. And we do. We'll be talking about that. We'll talk about it for adults, teachers, especially. Yes. And a lot of these themes and topics come up on the Dash podcast, which will include information for listeners. If you like what you hear from Trey, you can hear more from him on his own platform that he's got going on out there. We'll talk more about all that in a bit. We always start by getting to know our guests. I know you're someone who knows how to spin a yarn, as they say. Can you catch us up on who you are and how you got to this point in your career? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So born in Indiana, born and raised in Indiana. I was an athlete to start off. I thought that was my my purpose in life, to play in the league. Um, turns out that football is hard. So I, I did get to go play at Miami, Ohio, rode the bench for a couple years. I was part of one of the worst teams in college football history, but I, I was able to use that opportunity to really springboard me into my professional career. Got a degree in psychology, studied abroad my last semester, and that's what really made the world flat for me, Michael. When I studied abroad, it changed my perspective on the world, and I just became hungry, and I, I became ready to be my ultimate self, to tackle my dreams, and to just reach my capacity uh, while also modeling what my younger siblings and family could do. So I got back from Europe. I moved to South Carolina with no family, and I started working at a residential high school. I ran for a city council office when I was 24, started a business at 24, and just my dad said, build your resume till you're 30. So I, I've done my best to, to really serve, to really add value, and to be the best version of myself that I could be. Mm-hmm. And that involves awareness of yourself, awareness of you as an adult and your whole self, your social emotional needs. You're now an mm-hmm. SEL consultant. You've worked with rising generations. You're also, as a a fellow psychology major, we're also Mm. both interested in bridging the generations and understanding a lot of what's happening out there in the world around us. You've decided to plant your flag around adult SEO, Mm -hmm. among other things. Can you talk a little more about your SEL journey and how you've landed where you are today? For sure, Michael. So I honestly didn't, uh, psychology, not education. And psychology, it's called emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And while I was abroad, I had a chance to really get ingrained in personal development. The the originals, Napoleon Hill, Ogmandino, Jim Rome, Zig Ziglar, I devoured all that stuff. I, I would just eat it up. And then when I got back, I started to learn, people started talking about professional development 2.0. So there's awareness and then there's management, right? I, it's one thing for me to know what needs to happen. And it's another thing to build a skill set that I can maintain this lifestyle or I can maintain these habits or put that awareness into action. And so when I was living with these kids, 42 11th graders, and started really practicing my communication skills, I joined Toastmasters, right? Yeah. And in Toastmasters, 
I've got an ear, Michael. So I tell my wife all the time, there's clocks that go off in my head. I know I have a one minute timer, a two minute timer and a five to seven minute timer in my head because that was the Toastmasters things. But in that, I began to hear people much better. And so as I was talking to these kids and then I would talk to the teachers, I noticed there was a gap in communication. Mm -hmm. The teacher would present the information one way and be upset and frustrated that the students couldn't hear it. And then the kids would be frustrated because the, the teachers weren't listening to what they said or when they responded, they didn't know. It's like, ah, yeah, very interesting. Like teacher is not aware of what student is trying to say. And there's just these gaps in communication. And so for me, that became the place for me to help adults understand instead of spending my time 30 minutes a day, 45 minutes doing keynotes with students, if I could spend two to four hours with adults and really help us understand the power of communication the power of relationships, how does that then change my personal and professional life? So I'm focused on SEL and education, but this is personal before it's professional. Mm -hmm. and, and that's probably, I guess, the long and short of why I wanted to focus there. I saw those gaps in communication was the first thing for me. And then I started to figure out how can we bridge that gap and develop communication skills and relationship skills to impact students. And it just so happened that, that the actual framework for that was SEL. Yeah. And at the same time, our teachers are frontline workers through the pandemic. They're dealing with the emotional struggles and the social emotional health and well-being of their students. But frequently, it's the giving tree phenomenon where mm -hmm. they are helping so much that it's burning them out and they aren't able to really reflect in the way that you started your journey. Yeah. Frequently our teachers are just so inundated with everything all the time that it's hard to yeah. get that space and that opportunity to think about their own social, emotional health, well-being, all those kinds mm -hmm. of things. Can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, sure thing. So in my consultancy, I'm working on a project right now called Investing in, in Educator Wellbeing, an evidence-based approach to developing social emotional competence. And so we're going to submit an article for publication at the end of 2023. And I've spent time over six years assessing over 468 educators with the DISC assessment, looking at their communication style, and also with emotional intelligence. And one thing, Michael, that's come about for us is I have a client that I've worked with for multiple years pre-pandemic, and we have a school that we work with post-pandemic. It is wild, the difference in what I would perceive as seriousness that was given post-pandemic. Pre-pandemic, it was, hey, let's do this assessment. Let's practice these things. And we were doing it often. We had quarterly training sessions. It was impactful. But when you looked at year one to year two, there wasn't much change. Post-pandemic 2020 to 2022, for example, we look at your natural communication style. Say I'm a I'm an I style, meaning that I'm, I'm a people-oriented person, a relationship-oriented person. But when I come to school, I am forced to be more of a task-oriented person because of the nature of my job. That shows me that there's a high incidence for stress because I'm not communicating in my natural style. Mm. And so this school post-pandemic, 20 out of the 27 staff members had that shift of what I would call a negative correlation. They were a people person, but at work, they had to be a task person. Mm. And that causes stress. 
2022, we retook these assessments after completing some training and 10 of the 27 staff members have those same types of gaps. And so what you see is that awareness, you know, understanding these skills and understanding the value of them and then the practice or the management of those skills. And so that's the key area that I focused on is stress, communication styles, natural versus adaptive. The more you can communicate as yourself, the more you can communicate in your natural styles, the better you feel, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the better you're going to want to show up for your students, the more comfortable you feel being vulnerable and authentic, and, and the better results you get for everybody else. When you have to adapt or over-adapt, that's where we start to see higher levels of stress, conflict, and burnout. Mm. Interesting. The concept of post-traumatic growth was something I hadn't heard until recently. And it it reminds me of what you're describing there, where it's almost like from the shock to system. Also, as a football player, you probably remember pain is weakness leaving the body. (laughs) (laughs) So there is this moment of struggle. But if it's in that sweet spot, desirable difficulty, you're, you're able to get relief from the stress. There's an opportunity to actually become better. Is that a silver lining? Is that an opportunity coming out of all this? Absolutely. So there's no right or wrong answer. I'm just showing you your propensity for stress. And so if I use myself as an example, I was the dean of students for two years and I'm a people-oriented person. I'm a high I style, fast-paced, people-oriented don't ask me to dot I's and cross T's because I'm not going to do a good job at it. Is, is that kind of like an extrovert? It wouldn't be extrovert. We can dig more into the disc styles, but it's it's not necessarily introvert. It, it would be an extroverted style, yes. So people-oriented, interactive, hard on your sleeve, emotional yeah. Yeah. areas. Yeah, you could call I just want to figure out with low information, I want to figure out how I can call someone I style okay. a, at, a, at a cocktail party. You know, like they're passing out hors d'oeuvres. I'd be like, you seem very eye style based on the disc assessment. This okay. allows me to get there with, without having to do a lot of extra work. You know, right. Two questions we can ask to get there, Michael. Yeah. Um, one of them is, are you opened or guarded? And so you could ask that question for me. Would you say I'm open or guarded? Mm-hmm. I'd say you're, you seem open. Yeah. I'm open, right? And then yeah. the second question is, are you fast paced or slow paced? Which one would you say for me? Even though you got a little Indiana and South Carolina in you, I would say you're fast paced. I agree. That's that means I style. And got so it. those two questions, there's four communication styles. D is dominance. They are fast paced and task oriented. The I is people oriented and fast paced. The S is steadiness. And that style is all about consensus. So they are slow paced and people oriented. Mm. And then the C style is your conscientious. They're more analytical, which is slow paced and task oriented. So wow, all yeah. of these styles, we all, number one, internally are a mix of all four of these styles. Yeah. So me, I'm a high I and a, a D is my second. So I, I'm really focused on interacting with people and really focused on solving problems. Mm. When I was a dean of students, because we were short of staff, because we had some folks that left, I was forced to do some very tedious tasks like review transcripts and create schedules, things that took a level of task management that did not make me feel comfortable. But you mentioned the silver lining. Because of my awareness, I understood that, Trey, you're going to be in a high stress situation. 
I had to figure out in this case, because my administrator was not very nice to me, I had to start to learn what questions do I need to ask before I take on this project? So you're telling me to create this Excel sheet. What do you want it to look like? What would be the ideal outcome? Is there certain tabs or information you would like included from it? Is there anything that you think I'm missing? So that way, I'm instead of me just doing what's in my brain, bringing it back to you and we're all frustrated, let me try to gather as much information as I can. So when I put this thing together, I can deliver something that's at least closer to a finished product. And so mm-hmm. I was in a situation where I was operating, I was over adapting. I was not operating in my natural communication style, but to your point, I recognized that those were skills that I needed to learn in order to operate my own consultancy, in order to go into a school building as a consultant or a development coach and say, hey, this is my story. I couldn't stand that administrator. There was just a different level of integrity that we had. And so I'm, I'm actually pretty proud of that story and being able to go through it because I, I focused on service and I focused on the kids. And so yeah. that's a place that was highly stressful for me. I absolutely wanted to quit, but I recognized that I had to go through this storm to be a better version of myself. And that's the mission that I set out with, you know, 10 years ago. Right. And in some ways that speaks to the relevance of social emotional learning mm-hmm. in that if you learn how to have that metacognitive awareness on the one hand, where you can sort of step outside yeah. of yourself, think about thinking, think about what are my styles and natural tendencies, and then develop some planning and some feedback loops. The other piece that you were mentioning here is the importance of communication and then the mm-hmm. ability to give and receive feedback. In a lot of ways, SEL is foundational to all the other types of learning that we do. Can you expand on that a little bit around feedback, communication, yeah. and how SEL, it really is one of those durable skill sets yeah. that really translates into everything? If, if you're being really honest and just looking at the words social, where people people have to be social. If, we're, if we are in isolation, we go insane. So we are social people. So we're doing that, whether we have a framework about it, if we call it a name or don't, we're social people. And we all know that we're emotional. We have feelings, we have tears, we have all these types of things. So we're practicing this regardless, right? Mm, Somebody can give you feedback and you're going to take offense to it, Mm. or somebody can give you feedback and you're going to receive it gracefully. The difference is the intention. Wayne Dyer, you know, the power of intention. When I'm practicing SEL on purpose, like you said, metacognition, I'm aware that that I don't have to take it personal. I, I can, if I know you're about to give me feedback, let me take it as feedback and not an attack. Mm-hmm. That takes a level of skill and awareness to be able to do so. I, I can think of even with some of the assessments, I started to learn being aware of myself I, because I have a strong vernacular, because I am a practiced communicator. I'm a, I'm a speech writer. I'm an international speaking champion. I judge people based on their verbal communication skills, or I used to. Mm-hmm. I also live in South Carolina, where yeah. we have different accents, we have different twangs, we have a lot of things that we have different. So if I'm judging people based on how they sound, I'm going to come off pretty pretty jacked up, you know what I'm saying? And I probably sound like many of them now, too. So that was a, a shift in thinking for me, and I also recognized that I was over-accommodating, and I would... Because I was such a people person, I wouldn't 
address conflict. I would let it under the rug until it boiled up. And now I'm, I'm lashing out in anger rather than giving you constructive feedback. So mm-hmm. that those are things that I had to learn over time and just the awareness of them or that that was my tendencies or that's how I showed up and other people perceived me helped me be more aware of it so I can manage those things much better. You mentioned the storytelling, public speaking component, and you are a podcaster. The name of the podcast Mm -hmm. is The Dash Podcast. How does that connect to social emotional learning and to working with adults? My -hmm. experience is that it's it's really foundational to communication and it's really Mm -hmm. how humans make sense of the world around them. But as yeah. a professional, to some extent, an expert, as someone who's really gone deep, you know, a mm-hmm. world champion. When you think about communication and just words, simply the word passion means to suffer. Mm-hmm. You know, when you really look at the words you're saying to people and understand what they mean, it has a big impact. Another example I like to use, there was a school leader I was working with and they told me that somebody was messy. Now, I know that's more of a colloquialism. She meant it in a colloquial way. I know what that means. Somebody's messy. They like drama. They like to be in the messy ah, thing. Mm-hmm. But but it's, you didn't know what that meant. Yeah. So boom. I, I have a I have a four year old. I immediately went to not tidy, not yeah. being clean. So simple simple word usage. If, right now, if I would have just kept going past and not told you that, we would have had a miscommunication. And so that's where communication comes into play. I'm telling you, and that's what I said to her. I said, well, tell me what messy means. And she said, Mr. Gamage, I, I, you know what messy means. I said, I know what it means to me, but just tell mm-hmm. me so I can make sure we're on the same page. Yeah. Simple things like that. Messy. You're being messy. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not talking about cleaning up. I'm talking about being dramatic. And so just getting an understanding on what does this word mean? Mm-hmm. What are you really trying to say? That makes a world of difference. And so but you can be in a situation, particularly with kids, Kids don't have the vocabulary that adults do. I was watching Little Bear with my son the other day, and um, there was a duck, and a hen asked her to sit on, what'd she say? She said to keep the teapot cozy. She said to roll the dough. So this little duck literally got the dough and rolled it on the floor, and she sat on the teapot to keep it warm. She said, I did exactly what hen said. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then the hen wasn't mad. So she used good SEL skills. She wasn't right. mad. She said, you know what? You're right. You did exactly what I said. Now right. let's move forward and wrap this up. So when yeah. I'm aware that, you know, the way that I'm communicating and how somebody else perceives or receives it, I've got to be very clear about that. And I've got to be very clear when I make a statement that I'm making sure that at least I'm giving you two to three words to better understand what I'm trying to say if it's not a global word or a global use type of word. Yeah. And it's important to look for those bridging opportunities, those opportunities to connect and mm-hmm. and also those opportunities to clarify and come in humbly to say, I may not understand what you're saying right yeah. now. This can all be taught when I talk to practitioners and experts, they tend to say yes. But I think out there in the world, folks tend to feel like we kind of are the way we are. You were mentioning before you have some eye tendencies or or whatever those things mm-hmm. might be. It, it's always interesting to hear what folks think about that. Yeah. You know, people don't want to do the work. It's easy to say who you are. It's hard to look in the mirror. 
I, I think that's really what it comes down to. Les Brown said most people live the same year 75 times and call it a liar. So it's it's much easier, especially when you get comfortable. You get your, your first salary paid job. You got your two weeks vacation. You got your benefits. I'm good. Yeah. Okay. Learn about myself for what? I'm, I'm making yeah. my money. I'm paying my bills. I am good. Maybe not 75 times, but, you know, a couple, yeah. couple yeah. cycles, maybe, you maybe, know? Maybe yeah. 50 times, maybe, maybe 50. Because you get to a certain point and you're just not working that hard anymore or you're mm-hmm. not interested in looking at yourself because it's it's hard, Michael. And I yeah. think even if I go back to that situation as a dean of students, I had a moment where I got emotional with an administrator because I was putting in a lot of work mm-hmm. and they were telling me I wasn't doing enough. So I said, like, hey, if you don't think I'm doing enough, or I'm not doing this right. I need you to tell me what I could do better because right. I'm, I'm doing this all day. I'm doing what I need to at night. I'm going home right now, okay? I'm, I'm past my hours, and I've done everything that I can do. So, like, if you've got something else, let me know. And it was cool because I learned later from our director, they were like, you know, Trey, that was very humble of you to be vulnerable and childlike in this place, to to put your heart out there. Mm-hmm. And it says a lot that they were not willing to be as vulnerable back with you mm-hmm. because that vulnerability is tough. You know, I don't remember if I cried or not, but I was clearly emotional and I was clearly serious. And if you're not willing to go to that level of depth, if you're not comfortable with your emotions to that level, I don't even, I don't want to make it like a competition type of thing, but I just might say you don't really know yourself or you're not working on yourself like that to be comfortable going there. And I think another piece that I I just wrote down, and it's a strategy that I've started to talk to even family members about, when you feel offended, ask another question, hmm. right? If I'm giving you feedback and you want to take offense to what I say, ask me another question to clarify it. Because there's a, a disregard there, especially if I'm not speaking at you with a tone that is a lashing type of tone and you're offended, ask me another question because the chances are we're off the beaten path now and, and we've got to bring something, do something to bring us back together. It's interesting that it reminds me of the spotlight effect and a lot of these psychological phenomena that actually get in the way of our ability to kind of step outside of ourselves and have that kind of moment of pause Mm-hmm. Again, as a parent of a four-year-old, I know you have young kids yourself. You yes. start thinking about it from that lens. You're now focused a little bit on something different, working with adults. We're getting mm-hmm. closer to conclusion here, but any insights, anything surprising, different about working with adults? Why is it important? Why mm-hmm. is it something yeah. that we should spend a little more time on? I, so I'll say this too. Honestly, I don't teach adults any differently than I teach kids. I teach them the same way. And so there is programs that I've used with eighth graders that I've used with college students that is my bread and butter with adults because this stuff translates its relationship and its communication. And so I mentioned that adults have these gaps. I'm working on a report right now or a brief, if you will, to break some of the information down. But there's so much information that says, one, just by teachers being aware of the SEL skills, it impacts the students greater. Hmm. And there's reports that show that just by teachers practicing, when they practice SEL for themselves, it has those greater impacts on students. And then you think about absenteeism, right? $7.3 billion was spent on teacher turnover. This was pre-pandemic. Hmm. 46% of teachers reported stress daily. And during the pandemic, that was reported as higher than nurses in the field. And so when we think about just these two things alone, 
how can a teacher that's highly stressed and not at work going to impact my kids, right? There's another framework we use called the pro-social classroom model. And it says that when teachers have strong social emotional well-being, it improves relationships, classroom management, and effective SEL implementation, which ultimately leads to social, emotional, and academic outcomes. But my point there is when you look at people I love or, or frameworks I love like Castle, it puts adult SEL as like the second focus. I think it should be the zero focus because a lot of adults don't know that SEL is for them. What I'm calling schools and districts now, they think when I say professional development SEL, that it belongs to a department or that it's focused on a curriculum, or that they can't work with me because they've already adopted a program. Uh, honey, you probably are not doing anything along these lines of focusing on your people first. And I can't tell you when the people that, that do invite me to their school buildings and they do invite me to their campuses, the staff, number one, is relieved that they're not focused on pedagogy and instruction, but they have time to understand themselves and to talk about how to reduce conflict amongst their peers, amongst their administrators, and learn more about themselves. We're people before we're educators. Mm -hmm. We're people before we're teachers. We're, we're people before we're professionals. So my approach is person first. The last framework that I've used here is there's asset-based community development. Yeah, are you familiar with asset-based? Based, based yeah. out of Chicago, it, it's essentially a service learning approach that focuses on a community and the talents, the tools, the resources that exist in that community to build it up. Mm -hmm. So my thought process is asset-based personal development, asset-based professional development. Let me help you identify and highlight your strengths and what you do well and operate in those and your communication strengths and your emotional intelligence strengths and everything else. I'm not really focused on what's wrong. I want to focus on maximizing your strengths and then we can just minimize those weaknesses instead of eliminating them or improve them. Just let's just know what they are. And when I get put in that situation, know that that's a weakness for me and it's going to take some work. I'm going to have to ask for help. And like for me doing those tedious tasks, I improve with the help and I learned a lot, but it's still not. I know that's something I want to delegate down the road. That's great. It reminds me of a lot of the stuff I'm more familiar with on the enterprise side, you know, lifelong learning, yes. professional development in organizations frequently is focused. The outcome is either employee engagement oh. or, mm -hmm. or really wellness, well-being. That feels like this massive awakening that we're still yeah. kind of going through on that side. And I could see the lane you're operating in really start to bring mm -hmm. more of that in a coherent way into yeah. K-12 context. Yeah, this is very prominent in the corporate world. Mm -hmm. This last semester, I had a chance to work with a great client in a small group context. I typically am working with, you know, 25, 50 and plus because I'm working with schools or departments, but working with a team of four and a team of seven at a, a really prestigious university, we've been able to get to much more depth. And just by working with that small group, I've been able to learn more about how to enhance our processes as well. So this management team, we got their individual reports and we debriefed them, but then I was able to look at them collaboratively and they have a report where they can look at their strengths, their tendencies, their preferences, and they discuss, you know, mm -hmm. number one, number two, number three, number four, hey, what task are you doing that you shouldn't be doing? Mm -hmm. How am I communicating with you that's not effective? How could I do this better? And so they've been able to build strategies over the course of this semester to operate at a higher clip. And when we're doing that from the management team, 
that trickles down into the programs team, into your faculty, into your staff. And maybe we do bring them on board, but this is the perfect model because now we spend a semester developing the management team. So if we decide to expand and roll this out with your faculty and staff, you can reiterate the language when I'm not around. And this isn't a one-time cookie cutter session, but it's, it's something that you can start to embed and live in your culture and climate of your school or organization. Yeah. Makes sense. I keep coming back to being a parent of a four-year-old. I've been struck as Matthew's gotten into pre-K and now pre-K is on his way to kindergarten. How much of the curriculum is based on social emotional learning? That's good. And then at some point that's going to stop. And then maybe if we're lucky, we get it integrated a little bit along the way through K-12. Mm-hmm. Maybe we get some counseling services in yeah. higher ed if we're fortunate enough to go there. But why do we lose our way? It seems like we're getting it right early, which is a good thing when mm-hmm. it happens. You know, it's the whole everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten. Yeah. But we're not taught it anymore. And we're expected yeah. to remember what we learned in kindergarten. Yeah. It gets political as we rise through the ranks. Once you get to third grade. You've got to pass your reading test. And, you know, that third grade is the prison, the pipeline number. You fail your test here. You're going to prison probably. Mm-hmm. And then you've got your standardized test and the state this and pedagogy that and certified teachers here, certified teachers there. Everybody certified everywhere. That's kind of how the cookie gets to crumble. And there's more research that shows that 75% of graduates, high school graduates, wish they had more SEL in their practice. And so that's even where where Mindland goes. And I get it. I get it. When do you do SEL at school? I work with a lot of high schools. Homeroom is where a lot of folks implement this. But when the kids find out that homeroom is SEL, they just show up at the end of homeroom and they don't come or or they skip it. I think the probably the best approach to integrating SEL in schools, not, not probably, it is to just train the adults. So that way when we are implementing our lessons, we find those moments, we find those times to integrate, implement SEL. It doesn't, I don't think it has to be explicit for the kids to learn it. If the kids can learn it explicitly through middle school, and then after that, the educators are the ones that are equipped to highlight, to use the language, to to pause and reflect and do all those types of things. And I think that's where you're going to see the most bang for your buck, because it's not, hey, let's do this 25 minute lesson and we're done with SEL. No, it's happening the rest of the day. When you're teaching a social studies lesson and you break out for part of discussion, that's time for reflection. That's time for reflexive conversation. When you open up your lesson and you start with a question to get everybody engaged, that's SEL. You know what I'm saying? When when you are teaching a lesson and you notice that somebody makes an inappropriate comment, that's a moment for you to not call that kid out in class, but to go tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, what's what's up here? Why, why did you do that? So those moments are throughout the day and the 25 minute curriculum is great. You know, if you can have the time for explicit SEL, definitely put it in there. But your best bet to sustainable change is going to be developing the educators that are with the kids eight hours a day. You know, yeah. it's just part of the process that we that we live in the way that we think. And you'd be surprised how hungry folks are for that why behind what they're doing. And mm-hmm. to me, that's where types of programs that you're talking about outside of the personal support that teachers need. It's a really hard job. It's emotional work. Beyond that, if it's not in support of ultimately these kids' wellness and health and well-being at a fundamental level, more than their test scores, 
mm-hmm. that is really the way to kind of rebuild our education foundation from the ground up. 100%. I think it was the district statistic, but they said that 75% of the kids in that district did not go to a four-year college. So in the future of work in age of AI, the fourth industrial revolution, what we have left is our emotional intelligence mm-hmm. and our ability to connect to communicate and to understand the people around us. And that's something, maybe AI gets there. I've seen all the movies and things too, iRobot and and all that stuff where that robots get feelings. But right now that's what we've got to hold on to. And those are the skills where, where we can grow and learn. I'm noticing I have some kids that graduated recently and the parent told me that they're trying to chase the bag. They're, they're trying to chase the bag, get the money. You know, they want mm-hmm. money. 18, 19 years old, want to get the money. I'm yeah. like, man, I wonder if they know that what they think is money right now isn't really money. You know, once you have a wife or you have a child, you want to have something that you're going to be able to really build up your resume, build up your career. And I know generationally, Gen Z and millennials don't stay at jobs more than two years, but you you want to make sure that you're really getting the skill and understand that, hey, you can job hop, you can go here and there, but you don't want to burn bridges. And you want to understand that this is a process and you're going to make better money over time. And you can do that quick, fast, in a hurry. But if you're not picking up the skills you need along the way, you're just getting the best job for right now. Ah, you're looking at entry-level positions. You need to think about how you're going to get into higher-level positions if you're going to be an employee. What's well, the purpose of the education? To equip you to chase that bag or mm-hmm. to equip you to be a father, to be a husband, to be in community, mm-hmm. to, to actually give something back. Yeah, A lot of stuff to talk about. It's been amazing yeah. having <laughs> Trey, Trey Gamage on the show. The name of his podcast is The Dash Podcast. Really interesting yeah. stuff we got going on here. Trey, as we're wrapping up, any parting thoughts as our listeners go back to the rest of their lives? Thank you for what you do. And thank you for the opportunity to share this. You've asked great questions and I'm always looking to talk more with folks about emotional intelligence and SEO educators as well. Trey Gamage, thanks so much for joining us on Trending in Ed. Thank you. For our listeners, if you like what you heard, please write us a review, subscribe, do all the good things. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education.